Hey everybody, it's Richard Harrison, Scott Lease with another fantastical episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast. An amazing guest today. He is a media mogul in the making. He is going after everybody in the market. He offline said Gary V doesn't mean anything to him. Um, so please welcome from Sweetfish Media, the founder of Sweetfish Media, James Carberry, as well as the B2B Growth Show. And no, he really didn't say that about Gary V. So Gary, because we, we know you're listening, Gary, he didn't do that. That's just me trying to be funny. So thanks for joining us, James. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And uh, the amount of man love that I have for Gary V is borderline inappropriate. So I'm glad you walked <laughs> back that statement. <laughs> There's the title of the episode, <laughs> Man Love. Um, all right, we're not that kind of show, James. And I've been on your show and, you show, and you once told me like I had to watch my language and my mouth and all this kind of stuff. And here you are, out of the gate, you know, talking about man love. Yeah, um, this might be, be the first time, Richard, that we've had a guest on the show where you've been on their show before me, and I have not been on the show. Yet. We got we got to make that happen. I think we have scheduled because you, you get you get really upset about these things, which. <laughs> That's not true. It's not the first time. Okay. But um, but anyway, but but anyway. So James, just before we for for folks who don't know, you give a little bit of a backstory on um, what is Sweetfish Media. What do you guys do? You know, what's your sales cycle like? You know, d average deal size. Like, give people just so they have context context for these conversations we're having today. Totally. Yeah. So, uh, so I started Sweetfish about five years ago. We started as a blog writing agency. We pivoted about a year into being a podcast agency. We work exclusively with B2B, mostly tech companies, but all B2B companies. And we're producing right now, I think between 65 and 70 different shows for different B2B tech companies. So just seeing a lot of what works and what doesn't work when it comes to B2B podcasting. Um, in terms of our sales cycle, it's usually somewhere between 30 to 45 days. Logan could probably answer that question better than I can, but it seems like that's, that's about where we're at there. And then our deal sizes are usually between 30 to $40,000 annually. Um, and so that's, uh, that's, that's what the business looks like. How much cool. of the, the selling do you do now compared to what you were doing at the, at the beginning? I'm, I'm sure at the beginning you were doing a lot. Yeah, at the beginning, I was doing all of it. Um, and then we brought somebody else in to take that over. Um, they, they did that for about two years. That didn't work out super well. Um, and then we brought in Logan. Logan now does 100% of the selling. Um, so I'm completely removed from that process. Uh, I just, I didn't enjoy it. Um, and I realized pretty early on in the business that I didn't enjoy it. That just wasn't wasn't something that they got me fired up. Um, but now having someone who, you know, Logan, who's our director of partnerships now, uh, his background was in selling copiers. So he went from selling something that nobody really, nobody really wanted to be buying to selling this super sexy thing. Now they get to sell podcasts, but he's, a, he's applied everything he's learned from, you know, getting a lot of virtual doors slammed in his face, trying to sell him a copier. Uh, and he's applied that to selling something that's, you know, uh, really relevant and something that a lot of people are thinking about now. So uh, he's, he's been an absolute game changer. His first six months in the business, the business grew three X, um, which, you know, when you're small, those numbers can, can, you know, be inflated, but we essentially went from doing $350,000 in revenue to, uh, to you know, over a million in revenue since he's, since he's come on. So he's, he's played a huge, huge part of our growth. 
So what you're what you're telling us is that we're talking to the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you guys you guys are going to be able to talk circles uh, around uh, all the sales stuff. Um, but uh, but anybody in your audience that's interested in podcasting, I'm I'm super stoked to kind of dive into your show too and and hear the goals are with what are what are your goals with your podcast? Where do you think? a podcast can be super helpful for, for a sales team. Um, we honestly, when we first started B2B growth, I thought our ideal buyer was going to be a VP of sales because I was like, man, this, it's such an easy way to start a conversation with your ideal buyer. Surely a VP of sales is going to want to buy this service so that they can start conversations with their reps or for their reps by making them a co-host of their company's podcast. And I realized pretty quickly, I say pretty quickly, it took me about six months to realize that VPs of sales have budget for headcount and technology. They don't have budget for things like podcasting. So we constantly kept getting pushed over to marketing, which is when we realized like, okay, we need to shift the focus of our show, B2B growth from interviewing VPs of sales to interviewing VPs of marketing. Um, so I would love to jam on that, but um, yeah, <laughs> Logan's, <laughs> Logan's definitely way smarter at the sales stuff than I am. I'm chuckling when you said VPs of sales have budget for headcount and technology because we're like scrambling to get budget for both of those things. If we're lucky to have budget for, for those things at all, then right. obviously the, the flood of new podcasts into the market is wonderful for you and, and your, and your business. What do you, what do you tell people who are looking to get started with, with their podcasts right now? Like, I've heard some people say you need to be super, super niche and know exactly what you want to do. And I've had other people say, just kind of, you know, talk about what you like to talk about and don't worry about the subject and so forth. How do you, how do you advise folks to, to begin the, the journey? Yeah. So that's a, that's a great question, Scott. So the biggest, um, the biggest thing that I would say that we advise is to brand the show, the direction that you're going, the type of guests you're bringing on, brand the show around your ideal buyer instead of branding it around yourself. And so I think a big reason why our show has been successful in driving business results is because sure now over time the show has grown audience and we have people listening now that are listening and then they come inbound to us and eventually buy our service because they've been listening to B2B growth for years. But a lot of our new business comes because of the guests that we've featured on the show. And again, going back to why I thought this would be really valuable for VPs of sales to understand, because we could interview a VP of marketing on our podcast. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's six months, sometimes it's six days, sometimes it's two years. But by building that relationship with the decision maker, by them being a guest on our show, we are now on their radar screen. And so um, we've been able to close a lot of business with people that we've had on as a guest. And that's, that's, that's been really valuable for us, but you can't do that if the show isn't branded in such a way where your ideal buyer can come on and actually offer expertise. So for example, had we branded our show, the B2B podcasting show or the Sweetfish media podcast, which we see a lot of people wanting to brand it around their company. Uh, we see a lot of people wanting to brand it around like their tagline or one of their core values. But when you do that, you're alienating your ideal customer from being able to be a guest on that show because they don't necessarily, they don't have your expertise. They don't, they, they, they can't talk necessarily about what the show is about because that's your expertise, not their expertise. So if you're using it for what we call content-based networking, which is the book that I wrote earlier this year, if you're using your show for content-based networking, which is I want to connect with the exact 
people that can either refer my service, buy my service, um, talk about me positively in the market, like strategic relationships. If you want to use your show from that standpoint, you have to brand your show around your ideal customer, not yourself. So that's, that's the first piece of advice that I always give folks. So Scott, we either did it 100% right by calling it surf and sales, or we did it 100% wrong. I'm not sure which one it is. Who, who are you guys trying to talk to? Tell, like, what, what, are, what are your goals with the show? Go ahead, Richard. Um, I think the goals with the show is that we felt like we had something to say. and We were, we were kind of like, let's just see if somebody cares. Like, I think that was our first goal. Right? <laughs> like, let's, let's see, if, you know, if we chop down this tree in the woods, will anybody hear it? Um, but our target is salespeople, right? And, and that is who Scott and I both sell to, right? So, the, so to your point, we're aligning conceptually with what we're doing. And, and we've had a conversation of trying to get more people at a higher level, um, or let me, finding the balance. Like how do we find the balance of having the right number of CEOs, the right heads of sales, the right number of SDRs, the right number in some cases heads of marketing, um, so that it does line around the sales conversation, right? Because so much touches it, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's interesting, we haven't, you know, until this very moment, you know, we've never thought about, maybe we should have an engineer who works really good at the sales team. Like we've just never done it, but I think people would find that interesting that you could find that engineering mind. It ought to exist, so. Uh, so anyway, I'll, I'll stop there and see what Scott says. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think my goal is just to <clears throat> have lots of interesting conversations and and uh, and learn. To be honest with you, I, one of the smartest things that I heard said about podcasting was uh, my friend John Barrows said to me, um, <clears throat> that, you know, for him, like he just likes to have guests on that he thinks he's going to learn something from. So I get to have this conversation with you, and I'm like itching at you know chomping at the bit to, to be like dude you got to teach me how to be good at podcasts because we're doing this thing and you know we're doing okay but you know we're kind of winging it this is not really our you know expertise compared to you and i have you know somebody like Gitano come in and talk to me about marketing and somebody like kevin gaither come in and talk to me about you know being a vp of sales at a company for eight years and i don't i don't have that kind of staying power and longevity so I was like, man, how can I have interesting conversations with people that will help me learn stuff? And then how can I apply that? Um, and Richard is definitely more the one who's like pushing for, hey, we should be you know, thinking about it this way to bring in business and that kind of thing. Um, I haven't been very focused on that. For me, it's much more long tail. Like, you know, if word gets out and salespeople and VPs and founders are listening to our show, then they might check out surf and sales events and potentially send people or go themselves to the event or, you know, check out Richard's consulting, you know, services or my consulting and advising services and what have you. Um, so it's more about those things for me. And he, he's the one who's always like trying to be that's, more that's, about that's that. where I'm going to call, I'm going to call bullshit on Scott because what? Scott's a massive, he's a massive, massive puppet master, but not in a negative way. And he knows that I think this way. And he knows that like, and, I, and we both know this about each other is that this is where our balance comes in is that I'm thinking this way, which does align with where Scott's going of like, hey, this is good for the long tail. Uh, and I sort of can poke at that. Whereas Scott's like, well, wait a minute, slow down. Think about it from this creative perspective, this other piece. So 
So it's not that he doesn't think about it. He just knows I'll do it for him, which is, you know, quintessential Scott. <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, I, I would say that the, one of the reasons I love the medium of podcasting is because it can, it can, it can map to a lot of different goals. So if the goal is learned, like, and, and it's mapped to a ton for me. So our, we figured out our buyer was a, a VP of marketing at a B2B tech company with 50 plus employees. Like that's, that's who has budget for what we do. That's like, that's our sweet spot customer. And so when we re, when we started reaching out and asking that specific persona to be a guest on the show, it wasn't just about the one-to-one -one relationship we were building with the guests. That, that was awesome. And we were winning deals with those specific decision makers because they've been a guest on our show. But it also helped me bone up on B2B marketing. Like I, I didn't know the first thing about B2B marketing. And you do 1,300 conversations with B2B marketers, you'll learn a thing or two. And so Logan's done the same thing. Logan's background is in sales, but now that he's co-hosting B2B growth, he's done hundreds of interviews with B2B marketers. He's built expertise in a field that he didn't know anything about. That's different with you two because you obviously that your expertise is sales. That's your background. It's what you guys do professionally. Um, but you're still like, you're looking at it from different angles and you're like, Oh, I've never been a VP of sales for eight years. Like talk to us about that. Like, so you're deepening your existing expertise through these conversations. And I think that's a fantastic goal. I just think there are a lot like the other, the, what you guys are doing on LinkedIn is incredible too. And so like, I'm sure I, I don't, I can't say this. You haven't, we didn't talk about this before, but like, I would imagine that a lot of the conversations you're having on the show are informing what you guys are putting out on LinkedIn, which is giving you both massive visibility for your personal brand. And I, I like, is that true? Like, is, has that started happening yet where the show is influencing what you're putting out on LinkedIn? I, I think it, it probably has. I don't know how direct, directly conscious I am of it, but it's kind of impossible, I think, to, you know, disconnect from the conversations that you're having all day and then content that you produce and things that are on your mind. Um, so I think it's certainly, it certainly fuels the fire, if, if nothing else, you know, keeps us learning, keeps us thinking about new and different things. You know, I've, I've loved the, the last few posts that you've made, which have been very much like tactical. Here's five mistakes that you, that people are making with their podcasts. And, you know, here's five things that you need to do when you're first growing. And the mistakes one was super interesting because your second point, was uh, you know not repurposing the content and reusing it in other areas, which kind of ties into what you're asking us now is like, does that inform yeah. some of the content you write? It might help us write stuff, but like we're not good at you know chopping it up and cutting it and, and soundbiting it and putting it on this platform and that platform and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that was really you know helpful, helpful and informative for me. What do you? Yeah. I, I, and I think one thing, one thing that can feel overwhelming, like even in just the way you framed that Scott was like, man, we're not chopping, we're not chopping it up and putting it on all these different platforms. One thing that we've learned recently, cause we were, we were trying to attack Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and we've got an entire team focused on this stuff. And we were, we had five different shows that we were trying to do this for shows that we own in different industries. And it was just not working. We weren't seeing traction as quickly as I was wanting to see traction. 
So we actually pulled back significantly and, and we said, we're not, we're not doing Instagram anymore. We're not doing Twitter anymore. We're cutting four of our five shows for the most part. We're still doing a, a little bit with them because we've got some paying clients that are co-hosting those shows. So we want to fulfill that commitment to them, but we're going all in on B2B growth. So one show and we're going all in on LinkedIn and that focus we're already, we're building some process for how we're going to be doing distribution across five different personal brands within the Sweetfish team. So there are five people on our team that have said, Hey, we're going to start posting from our personal profile and we're going to be using a lot of the content we're creating on B2B growth and some other content things that we're doing podcasting Q and a, uh, we're starting this thing called content camp. So we've got a lot of different kind of pillar content in addition to B2B growth that we're going to be doing this stuff with. But I think to help you kind of not feel as overwhelmed with like, Oh man, we got to repurpose it for all these different channels. I think if you just started with taking this show and, and working through a process to where you could train somebody else, maybe it's somebody on Upwork, or you know, it, it doesn't have to be a full-time person and say, hey, can you watch this video? And Scott, both of you have incredible networks. You probably have somebody that you know, with, has been displaced because of COVID or whatever, that you could find somebody to do this and go listen to these interviews and find like 30 second to two minute clips where you know, I'm saying something awesome or the guest is saying something awesome or Richard saying something awesome and, and clip it and then come up with a headline for that clip and just doing that and using, you guys now have a pool of videos that you can go to LinkedIn with. And what I've noticed, we've tried, we've tried having writers on our team write the captions for those videos. And I haven't found that that's worked very well. It comes across not, I don't want to say not authentic. It, it's more of a summary of the video where I think what, what works, and I'm seeing this a lot with Chris Walker's LinkedIn content. He, he, he was telling me about his process. He watches the video that his team puts together. So his team is cutting the videos and putting headlines on it. He then goes to like a Google drive folder in the morning. He looks at all the videos available to him. He looks at it and he goes, okay, that was a, he listens to the one minute clip and he's like, okay, this is what I'm going to say over and above what I said in the video or the audiogram or whatever it is he's posting. And so I think you guys are already in such a good habit of posting written content on LinkedIn. If you now take these videos that you've got somebody outsourced or somebody that's clipping those for you, you'll be able to like really, and you might even be able to get to the point where you're posting multiple times a day on LinkedIn because you've got this pool of content to choose from. Yeah. Um, and I found that when I started doing that for myself, I can crank out a, LinkedIn post in 15 minutes where it used to take me 45 minutes to an hour. Cause I was like, Hey, what am I going to talk about? What angle am I going to go as opposed to just like, here's the folder, here's the video I'm going to talk about. Okay. What's this video make me think of? And I'm going to, and I write it myself and it ends up performing way better. That's awesome. That's uh, we can be done now. That's <laughs> all I needed to hear. My brain was like spinning. James just kicked my ass into, into motion that I have shit to do. That's worth the price of admission right there. Richard, go for so, it. I totally agree. I think, I think, and we know that's where we fall, right? Like we, you know, our biggest thing is one, we don't edit, we don't do stuff like it's a single take record. We put it on, you know, we share it, we put it out and then we, you know, we have a YouTube channel. Um, and several people told us, you know, we need to go through this, like using the snippet thing. And we always hear both of my, both, both Scott and I are like, Ooh, that's a great one liner, you know? Um, and we need to get that stuff out, but we never, uh, you know, I think we both just have, we think we have so much on our plate to go through someone's process. 
and you just made it really simple. So well, he just made it really simple. I'm, I'm literally, if I, if anybody's watching the video and I look distracted it's because I have like five people in mind right now who are displaced from COVID that <clears throat> I've been trying to help with different things. And I'm like, I bet they would help me because I've been trying to help them. And I'm going to yep. ping all of yep. them right now before I forget. <laughs> yes. And, and an, another thing you guys, another thing you guys can do that doesn't take, Oh, sorry about that. Where are you going to say Richard? The difference between Scott and Richard is Scott's going to get all five of them to do it and give them each two to do so that we have 10 of them done. Right. Like, whereas I would, I would be like, Oh, let me find the one person. So Scott's like, no, 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 no. Don't worry about consistency and music. No, and we have like, stuff. we have almost a hundred episodes. Okay. So, if, if I found a hundred people to agree to this, I'd give each of them one episode. Yes. And I love boom, it. Grab all of it at once. I love it. So, so one thing that I'll say too, another thing that you guys can do just from a structure standpoint without having to, you know, something that you do over and over and over again. But if you bake it into your structure to where you ask certain questions, you know that those questions are going to elicit a response. It's probably going to do really well on social. So a couple of the questions that we like to ask are, what are the biggest mistakes related to, you know, insert their expertise. So you guys would be like, James, what are, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see companies making with podcasts? And I would have gone off on a rant talking about that LinkedIn update that I did the other day. And I would have talked about like how companies need to have multiple co-hosts for their show, not doing necessarily like all the time what you guys are doing. Cause that, that adds complexity with like schedules. And now you got to work out three people's schedule instead of just two. But like, if Scott's doing episodes and Richard's doing episodes uh, and maybe you guys bring in, you know, a couple other people to do episodes that you guys really trust, like maybe get John Barrows to do a series on this show and he repurposes some of his make it happen Monday episodes on your show, like doing stuff like that allows you to put out more content, which just that's more content in the world so that people can find surfing sales because they came across this episode that John Barrows did as part of his series. Like we've got multiple series on B2B growth because we know the more content we put out, the better. And the best way I found to do that is by having multiple people co-host. So if you would have asked me like, what's a big mistake you see people making, you elicit that response, which ends up being a great one to two minute clip. Another question that's great, so beyond just what mistakes do you see happening in your, you know, in your field of expertise, what mistakes do you see companies making, would be um, what's a commonly held belief that you just passionately disagree with? And when, when you ask that question, it's gonna get them really ramped up and it's gonna get them taking a contrarian view. And those contrarian views typically perform really well on social. So by doing that, just even if it's two or three questions where you guys are like, we know we're going to ask every guest these two or three questions, mistakes, something, you you know, commonly held belief you passionately disagree with. Maybe you choose one or two more. Like it can be like a, you know, a little fast five thing you do at the end where it's like, Hey, we're going to take the last five minutes of the interview and ask these five questions. But you know, like if the whole rest of the interview is garbage, <laughs> you at least have that section of the podcast where you're like, I know we're going to get some solid social content out of this, which is going to drive awareness for the show and getting more people subscribing and getting so what, more people. You know, so what, aware is, so what is a commonly held belief about podcasts? that you passionately disagree with. <laughs> let's, let's put this so, right into, into action right now. Yeah, so, so I think a commonly held belief around podcasting is that audience size is the primary metric. And I think in B2B, the quality of your guests 
especially in the early days, because it takes time to build audience. Like it, it's not something that you snap your fingers and can do overnight. Like we're talking about all these different things you, you can do to like, you know, slice and dice your content and like promote it in different channels and like collaborating with other popular podcasts. Like there's a, you have to do a lot of things to grow an audience and it takes time. And so I think the commonly held belief is we have to focus on audience out of the gate and we've got to do this elaborate production because people are going to want to subscribe if it's this elaborate production. But in reality, that elaborate production does not map to what you're wanting to, it to map to. Like if you're not putting out consistent content, on a regular basis, uh, then people aren't going to want to subscribe to your show. They're not going to stick around and you're going to burn out because if you, if you think like, I, I don't know, I've seen shows where they rent out, they rent out giant studios and, and they do this very elaborate video production. And it's like they do three episodes and then they burn out because they've spent their entire annual budget to get three episodes done. So that's a commonly held belief is like thinking that you have to get super fancy when in reality you just need to put out a lot of content that's quality. Well, we, um, we did that right, Scott. What do you think about, what do you think about, this is Richard's idea that I thought was genius and which is what we've tried to do. And his idea was just to drop podcasts like shows on Netflix, like in bulk, like, yeah. Here's a, here's four or five episodes. Boom. Here's, I think we dropped 12 one time all at once on people and yep. just kind of, you know, over, overwhelm the, the market. Is that, I mean, and it I, depends. So I, I like that. The, it depends on the platform. I, I don't, I know with Apple podcasts, whenever you dump a new episode and say somebody doesn't listen to a particular episode, uh, when your next episode drops, it's almost like it's layered for those watching the video. So like that, that newest episode goes to the front of the line and instead of the older episode being below it, it hides behind it and then you see like two episodes under there. So dumping 12 at a time doesn't give you the real estate within Apple Podcasts that it used to give you. Used to like if, if, if somebody dumped 12 episodes, you'd be scrolling through your feed of, of podcasts you haven't listened to yet and every episode was like a separate space. You'd be like scrolling through 12 different episodes like, oh, there's a lot to, to listen to with surf and sales, but now the algorithm has, has, or not the algorithm, the, the way their UI is structured now, it's like your other, those 11 other episodes are just hidden behind the most recent one. But I do think that it gives people a lot of options. So if they're like, like oh, I'm not really interested in this one, I'll go and listen to that one, that one, and that one. Um, that I think, so I still think it's super, a super smart play. I re and I really think it's smart when you're first launching your show. Because one of the things that Apple pays attention to is how many subscribers and how much consumption of the podcast is happening in the first 30 to 60 days, I think. And that determines whether they put you in the new and noteworthy, which I haven't seen has moved the needle a whole lot, honestly, even for shows that have made it into new and noteworthy. But it's, it's something nice to shoot for. Um, and if you drop you know, a, a lot of episodes on the front end, it, it, you, know, you get way more downloads than if you just release with one. And that's something that I've only recently uh, oh, figured out. Interesting, because I don't, like when I go look, and this is me just learning, right? So when I go look at Apple Podcasts and look for episodes, I don't feel like I see things being hidden. Like I, I can go in and maybe it's because it is my account that I'm going into. Like it does show me all the episodes. That are, showing are, are, you on, are you on desktop or mobile? Desktop. Yeah, so, so I'm, 
So mobile is where I'm always looking. So that's, that's my own ignorance. And like, I just don't listen to podcasts through Apple podcasts on desktop, but I'll show you an example. So, uh, I don't so listen to it there either. It's just where I go to look at stuff, right? Just make it. sure it got through, make sure it went on. Um, it's just fascinating. And to be perfectly honest, we, we care about Apple cause we know there's a certain amount, but we, we really push Spotify more anyway. Um, as well as just sort of the general, here's the general link to go download the episode, go download it on whatever you want. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm less concerned about that. Um, I would, but, but I would, instead of pushing want- people to Spotify, I think my suggestion would be push them to a landing. Like, do you guys have a website for surf and sales? For surf and sales? Yeah, but we haven't put the episode up there. Um, we've talked about it. So I, I would say have, have a landing page on your site for the podcast that you can direct people to and then have links to everywhere that it lives. So instead of pushing people specifically to Apple podcasts or Spotify, because when we, you know, you push somebody to Spotify like me, I don't listen to podcasts on Spotify. So I'm, I'm just like, ah, I'll, I'll skip over this one. But if you were to send me to a link to your pod, your podcast landing page on your site, I would click on the Apple podcast button because that's how I listen to podcasts. And then I would go and subscribe to the show and, find that episode. I think I've got, I think I have that on my website. That's not a bad idea. Although I'm also to the point of like, really, if I need to micromanage you on how to go find my podcast or favorite platform. <laughs> that's, like really, that's, that's a that's really good point. My, that's like, a really good point because when I really, when I think about what my actual behavior would be, um, if, if you guys, if, if you guys were talking about it on LinkedIn you're like, man, we had this conversation with John Barrows and it was incredible. We talked about this, this, and this. I'm like, wow, that's actually really interesting to me. It's super relevant to what I'm going through. And you tag your, your podcast company page in the status update. I'm like, okay, surf and sales podcast. I would literally probably just like close LinkedIn in my phone, go open up up a podcast and just search surf and sales. And I know that that episode is going to be at the top. So like, so, so a lot, a lot of this is, is semantics. Like, you know, could, could it help if you put the link in the first comment on LinkedIn and drove them to a landing page? Probably, but I, I tend to agree with you too. Like if I've got to micromanage how you're finding it, then we haven't built you, enough have brand. Go ahead, Richard. Go ahead. Now I was just going to say, how do you benchmark, right? Like, so you were talking about, Hey, you know, if you're starting, you know, it's cool to drop a couple of things. Like, what are we looking for to, help us define success or is it, you know, Scott and I sort of were like, let's put this thing out there. We'll leverage our LinkedIn networks. We know we'll get some people and then let's just see if we can get traction. Right. That that was sort of our simplest, simple mind approach. But when you do start to measure, like, like if you're working with your clients, how do you manage their expectations around early benchmark growth, what they should really be expecting, what myths they need to get rid of. Yeah. So, so we try to get them thinking more about the success of their show in the early days around the quality, the, the guests that they've had on their show. So is, is this guest a qualified opportunity for your business? Like is whether they're interviewing a COO or a, you know, VP of customer success, like whatever, whoever their ideal customer is, have you interviewed the decision makers at the companies that you're trying to do business with on your show? So it has, it, it, it is very little to do with audience and, and everything to do with the preciseness of the guests that they're bringing on. Have those guests said yes. And have you had conversations with the people that you ultimately want to do business with inside their organization? Well, one, of the, one, of the good, one of the good things about 
our strategy at least in, I mean, we waited forever, what feels like forever before we did the show, um, is that we have like a 100% acceptance rate. I mean, I, I don't think we've asked a single person and, and they've, you know, turned us down and anybody who's not been on the show yet, um, we just keep having scheduling conflicts all yep. over the place. So I think, I think that's been, been helpful and I, I totally get what you're saying about, you know, get kind of the right people. But what about like numbers? Like yep. how the hell do I know if we're doing good or bad or average? Like I, I, maybe this information is out there and I just haven't gone and, and looked for it. But how, how does somebody know if they're doing good? Based on yeah, so for the for the that's a great question, man. We and we we hear that a lot. So a a lot of the podcasts that we're producing for these B two B companies, in the first in the first, I've found sixty days, sixty to ninety days, these shows are usually getting somewhere in the neighborhood of like a hundred to one hundred and fifty downloads an episode. Um, so where where are you? Do you mind sharing? Like where are you guys at right now in terms of downloads per episode? Richard's the numbers guy. We've got like 20,000 something downloads on 80 shows. Okay. That, that's yeah. me estimating. He, he's the one who runs all that. Got it. So, um, so yeah, I, I would, I don't know. I, I hesitate with sharing too many number, numbers because there's so much value that can come from the yeah. show. Even if, even if you were getting six downloads on, on your show, yeah, this but, podcast would still be I, very strategic for you. Guys. I, I hear, I hear you. I hear you, James, but like, let me, let me push back, like appeal to the competitor in me, right? Yep. Like, am I losing? Am I in the game? Am I on the bench? Am I winning? Right? So I heard you say, I think I heard you say, you know, if somebody in the first couple months is, is doing about a hundred downloads an episode, like that's a decent benchmark. So, yep. and you guys, based I, on those numbers, twenty thousand downloads across eighty episodes, you guys are at two fifty. Yeah. So I would say I don't know how long you've been doing the show. If we, it's we started, episodes, we started in January, so this is yep. our, our fifth month. So, so I would say you guys are are probably just over just over average from what I'm seeing. So I would say you guys are winning. You're in the you're, and and I would attribute that honestly to how how much attention you guys have on LinkedIn yeah. where I don't, a lot of the companies we're working with don't have you guys' level of attention on LinkedIn. So then, so then um, you could argue that we're not doing that good actually, because some of the, some of the numbers that other people are getting are comparable to us and they don't have the same. Kind yeah. Of yeah. That's a, uh, that's a different way to look at it. And, and I think it's because honestly, I don't see you guys talking about the show a lot on LinkedIn. Let's, you're let's sharing good stuff. That's that. I really want to talk about that. I'm so glad you brought that up because this is a problem that I have. I, I'm uncomfortable and hate like promoting stuff. Yep. And I feel like I do so many different things. Like I don't have time to promote everybody. I'd have right. to post. Mm -hmm. I'd have to post like seven, eight times a day. Like I just, I just promoted in bulk. Like. 10 different events that I'm doing or just finished on Twitter because I, I can't, I can't handle promoting it like all on LinkedIn. So help me, help me out here. Like how, what is the right ratio of promoting our, our show and how do we promote it in such a way on LinkedIn? That's not just like really douchey. Yeah. Or no. elsewhere, where do you promote, where do you tell clients to promote them? So we, we advocate for creating a, company page specifically for the show do you guys have a company page for surf and sales podcast no 
So I would I would get started by doing I that. Have one on my website. I have one on my personal website, but not the service. Yeah, sales same, same. So so if you guys do a LinkedIn company page, so like like you're like you're starting a company, except it's for your podcast, and the category would be like media and production or what whatever the category is for that company. You guys can then start tagging the show in like in your posts where it makes sense organically. So it's like, hey, we were talking to John Barrows on Surf and Sales Podcast and you're tagging Surf and Sales Podcast, um, but, it, but it's a natural part of what you were gonna say in your post anyway. That's, that's kind of the non-douchey part of it is like figuring out the nuance of how do I, how do I talk about it where it's not like I'm, overt, I'm overtly promoting it necessarily, but it is influenced like, hey, I was, I was talking to this guy on, on the show this week and it made me think, da-da-da. Um, so that's one way to do it. The other thing that I've seen people doing, and I just experimented with it yesterday, honestly, it was, it was the five, five mistakes post. And, uh, and I just like, I made sure that my status update was short enough to where I had a little bit of room at the bottom of the post. And I just did like, you know, kind of seven different hyphens. And then under it, I was like, you know, hey, if you're not already listening to B2B Grow Show and I tagged the show, I was like, you're probably gonna love it. Um, you know, it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And so I just used that little part at the bottom of my post for a plug for the podcast. And I've already noticed that like more, it, the, the show page, the company page for the show has more, has more, followers on it today than it did yesterday. And I think that's because that particular status update, I think it got eight or 9,000 views. So that putting, putting it, doing it like that, where what I said, like in the status really didn't have, I guess it was tertiarily related because I'm talking about mistakes about podcasts and then I'm promoting the podcast at the bottom of it, but it could really be super disconnected. Like yeah. you could do something like that at the bottom of your post that's really disconnected from the content of what you're saying. So the content is going to be what gets traction and what gets eyeballs and what gets a lot of people commenting. But why not put a little plug for the podcast at the bottom there and just make sure it's separate? So I've been experimenting with that. Honestly, yesterday's post was the first time I'd done it and I was pleased with the results. So that could be something that you test out with one of your posts. In the is, next do you find that? certain episodes um, do better based on the duration? Like is, do hour long episodes work, 30 minute long episodes, or is that totally ir irrelevant or maybe specific to the, the guest or the show itself? I used to have a stronger opinion on this. I used to really think shorter episodes were better, but honestly, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a very subjective person. <laughs> and so I, I look through things through the lens of like what I like way more than I should. Um, and so I personally enjoy shorter episodes, but the reality is if it's a compelling topic and it's an hour long, I'm, I, I, I want to hear the hour long episode. Like we've played around with like, do we chop up the hour long episodes into three 20 minute episodes? And it's more frustrating to me as the listener of the content when it's like, ah, I just want to hear what, with the rest of what they had to say about this. So I used to take a harder stance and say shorter episodes all the way. I think because I'm such an advocate of putting out a lot of content, I think you guys could do like a five minute Friday where it's like one or maybe both of you guys out of like, even if it was just one of you did a five minute rant for the podcast. Uh, and, and it could be two different episodes. Like Scott could, you could have your five minute Friday, Richard, you could have your five minute Friday. And it's just like you record a voice memo on your phone and, and get it uploaded. And that's, that's two episodes that drop on Friday that 
you know, is, is going to be fodder for you got for your team to repurpose. I have a question, James. I hope I'm not choppy. Um, do you, if you're listening to a podcast and it's longer than 30 minutes, how often would you come back to it? If you like the content, like maybe you can't spend an hour on it, but you, yeah. you come back to it. So I'm different because I listen at two X. So, so a 30 minute podcast to me is only 15 minutes. But I don't um, think, are you really that different? I don't, you know, as much as I know you're a snowflake, like I, you're, I don't think you're that special buddy. You're not the first person to figure <laughs> out one and a half. Like, my but a lot of people, like my, my wife hates it. Listens to stuff at two. So she, come on. My, my wife, like it, I talked to when, when people hear me listening to stuff, like they come into the kitchen when I'm listening to a podcast or something, they're like, James, this sounds like a chipmunk. So I just assume that I'm a weirdo because I, I listen to stuff at two X. Um, but I, I do like if, if it's, if I'm in the car going somewhere and it's a piece of content that I really like, I'll just hit, hit pause. I'll go into the restaurant, come back and then I'll hit play again. So it's not like I'm necessarily coming back to it. It's that I don't move off of it until I finished it. So that's my listening behavior. Cool. My computer's starting to act up, so I'm going to turn it back over to Scott. But that, that confirms our belief. We actually posted about that on LinkedIn, and overwhelmingly, people said they come back. Yeah. And the, the yeah. interesting thing is that the data, right, Chartable and all these places that you go, they, all, they love to tell you when people fall off, but they never finish the episode. And they do that on purpose. Like yeah. they really do that on purpose because they got the data, they know, mm -hmm. right? And they're just, you know, it's interesting. It's almost like I remember when Google first started SEOing, and they got they were very cryptic about it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, kind of like what LinkedIn does now. They're very cryptic about it, but people figure it out and kind of wait. Well, I'm not going to do that just because everybody says I should do it. Yep. So. Yep. But thank you for validating us. Yeah, but, but I, hope, I hope the listeners are still listening because this is all about that <laughs> show. Yeah, but they don't. <laughs> Not much of a don't realize is that we just brought James on here to get like a thousand dollars worth of consulting advice over over the last. I would say it's about five thousand. <laughs> five thousand. I undercut him. I'm trying to anchor his price lower. Right okay? to anchor but I mean to. To, to add value to you guys as listeners, like the surfing, like uh, we, we could go the direction of what I was, what we were talking about before we hit record, which is like this idea of, of come, like, what if you thought about your SDRs as journalists instead of thinking about them as meeting setters for well, you certainly need to be, you certainly need to be able to write better than you ever have before at any time in history of being a salesperson. So, so journalists, journalists. The way I think about journalists is, is maybe a little bit different. So I, I see the connection you made there between journalism and writing. I think somebody that can do like a video interview like this, or e even if it's just a phone call, but it's like investigative reporting. Investigative, they're, they're, they're like investigative journalism kind of. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, so, so you're hiring, you know, it can still be younger folks, like what you would hire in an SDR role, but they're, you're hiring for certain aptitudes like curiosity and are they interested in this industry? And if, if you get them on the phone coming at the ideal buyer, instead of like, hey, we want you to get on this 30 minute demo with our AE, you're instead coming at them like, hey, we're doing this piece of content uh, and we'd really like to get your thoughts on it. So maybe it's an in-depth, you know, maybe it's an in-depth blog post and you want to get, you're trying to, you know, connect with them to contribute a piece of that, or it's a podcast episode, or it's a LinkedIn live series that they're doing, but it's, it's 
geared around creating content with that person as opposed to trying to get them to book a meeting with the AE. And I just have a, I don't know. I'd be curious to hear what you think. Like, is that, is that too frou-frou pie in the sky? No, it's, it's, it's the, one of the greatest SDR techniques available. It's called the interview request for interview. Mm. Hey, I'm early in my career. I'm trying to understand our industry. I'd like to ask you some questions. And then I literally tell reps to say, I promise I'm not going to pitch you. And then you get on the phone with them and you say, Hey, Scott, look, um, I want to ask you these three questions. I'm happy to share where it's coming from. So you understand what we're doing. I wouldn't pitch you. What ends up happening is that conversation evolves. You learn a ton of data. Like you get all kinds of things, right? People are preaching. People like to help people. Like we know that. And then maybe Scott knows better than I do, but then it feels like the rule of reciprocity is about time one like Scott will go, all right, wait, tell me what you do now. Right? Now I'm curious. Now, now that I've given you all the information and been helpful, I do want to know. And, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is, you know, you're going to come back to them later saying, you know, in a week or two, hey, I promise you I wouldn't pitch you. I would like to now talk to you about this. You know, so you kept your word. Yeah. Yeah. Them. You've, you've learned a ton yep. that you can then leverage into another call. So that to me is it's an interview technique that I teach all the time. That's incredible. That's awesome. I, I had never, I hadn't heard anybody talking about that. And so I was like, man, maybe I'm just crazy and way off base. And because I've never been a VP of sales, I'm just out of touch with like, could that actually work? But I, I, I just think from a, also from a business acumen standpoint, I forget who posted this. It might've been one of you two, honestly, but like there's such a Delta between the business acumen of an SDR and the type of person they're trying to set appointments with. No. And I think by doing your approach, Richard, like, or, or do you know, whether it's, an unrecorded interview or a recorded interview that they're using for some sort of content series for the company. Um, I think it would be a way to ramp an SDR's business acumen and understanding of the industry in a really, in a quick way. Yeah. And probably a, a, a more fun way than some. Yes. It teaches them how to ask open into questions. It teaches them how to do discovery. It teaches them how to just sit and listen. Like it's a really, to your point, you know, they're also learning, learning potentially multiple, media yeah. right yeah. They're, yeah. they're doing video they're doing a podcast interview maybe they're writing back and forth and, they, yeah. and all of these things are becoming more and more common i mean people are doing i'm getting prospected with linkedin videos and i'm also getting just tested because my buddy morgan keeps sending everybody my way because he knows months ago i complained about getting too many of them so now he's directing them to me i'm getting them all the time uh, but some of them are starting to get really good you know, so now I'm like, damn it, my defenses are coming down. I'm starting to join his team here. Oh, it's an interesting take. What can we do to, uh, to be helpful to you, James? This has been super helpful uh, for us. And I'm sure people in the audience are, who, who have their own shows or are thinking about having their own shows have, have learned a lot. But what can we do to support and yeah. help you? So I am, and, and I know we only have a few minutes here and this might this this might put us uh, up against the time I know we've got some hard stops but my question um, when you guys ask this offline uh, would be you know we're we've we've generated a lot of demand because of all the content we're putting out so we've got a lot of inbound demand coming and we're getting to the point where it's it's about to be too much for Logan who's our you know one person sales team what are some of the characteristics should I be should I be looking for as I start to recruit like our second our second salesperson, um, knowing that 
this person is likely going to be, the bulk of their work is going to be handling inbound demand. What would you say I should be looking for? You want to tackle that first, Richard? No, I'll, ta I'll tackle it first. What should you be looking for? Well, um, somebody who's coachable, number one, because you, you've got somebody who presumably already has the playbook and, and does things really, really well right now. So you don't need somebody to come in and tell you how they've done it for 20 years and have their own methodology. You need someone to come in and execute, you know, halfback sweep right if that's the play that's called. So that, that coachability, I think, uh, is huge. Um, <clears throat> I think that you would probably behoove you to try to find somebody who's been in an in inbound kind of selling role before, um, who's used to uh, kind of having to do the, the right method of discovery and then kind of explaining what you do. One of the mistakes with inbounds is, is people skip over discovery and just go straight to like trying to close deals and they, they think that the the inbound like already knows everything and is aware of their problems and they don't. So if you put somebody in a role who's not used to inbounds, that's a, that's a risk. So I, I would at least want somebody who's fielded inbounds before to uh, try to tackle that. Um, <clears throat> and, I, and I think, you know, what you should be looking for is somebody who wants to be a part of building something special because you're still young and early, at least in the size of your sales organization right? It's only one person right now. So this second person who comes in should be somebody who really wants to be a builder, who wants their impact to be, to be felt and, and to be known um, and be a core contributor. So it, that requires somebody who's very internally motivated, self-starter type personality, almost a little bit entrepreneurial, um, you know, somebody who wants to be close to the fire to, to see how, you know, the secret sauce was made here by, by you and the, and the team. So th those, those are three things that I would be looking for if I was you. Awesome. You want to add anything, Richard? I'm a little choppy, um, according to you. So I think that, uh, I wouldn't add too much. I think the coachable piece is there. I also think there has to be some level of willing to demonstrate their ability to follow a process. Right. Like I would, I would want to know that they've done, Scott said to do this before, but define what do this before means for you. So you can draw that out in the interview. Right. Um, I also would tell, I would also encourage you, and it's going to sound manipulative, but not manipulative. Go ask your first S, your first AE and say, Hey, what are 10 things you wish we would have taught you? Don't tell them why you're asking. Just say, Hey, what are your, what are things that you wish we would have taught you sooner? Right. So it, if you tell him why you're asking, he's going to be like, well, gosh, I don't know. If you just say, tell me these 10, he'll probably be able to figure it out and, and get a couple of ones. And then I think that can help you vet that piece. Um, and then I think you also have to look at your onboarding process. Like you probably need to slow down and onboard this person, maybe to some degree slower than before, because you now know what to coach on. Right. Um, and I would even ask, I might even ask them, you know, how often have you sat in on calls and then demonstrated the same thing, like whether it was through Gong or Chorus or, you know, one of those platforms. Um, those are the things I would, I would look at. So. Awesome. That's incredible. Thanks, fellas. This is super helpful. I took a half a page of notes just now. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, James. We really appreciate it, man. It's always good to uh, catch up with you. We love yes. what you're doing. Keep producing good content. And uh, 
Richard will be on the uh, computer inbounding to your company in about 30 seconds. Uh, <laughs> I'm expecting you to make sure we get like a thousand downloads in the first 24 to 48 hours. Otherwise, we're gonna, otherwise we're gonna I, I know what the expectation is. That's good. <laughs> Cheers, James. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it.